In today's episode, I am chatting with Erin Trelore, founder of Raw Beauty Co. It's a platform that celebrates real women and their real stories that is dedicated to helping women live from a place of self-love. We talk about a lot in this episode. It was really hard to encapsulate in just one one brief sentence. We talk from body acceptance to nutrition and relationship with food to loss of identity as a mom to filling your bucket. It's all in there and it is awesome. I loved this conversation with Erin and I really hope you enjoy. to the Around the Campfire podcast. They say it takes a village to raise a child, but I believe it also takes a village to raise a mom. I'm your host, Jillian Benke, the founder of Mom Camp, and each episode I chat with busy moms who are doing awesome things in life and work. Join us for real conversation and community because this is your village. This is the Around the Campfire podcast. Hi, Erin, and welcome to the Around the Campfire podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I am so excited too. I follow your Instagram account, obviously, as I think most people do, and I just love what you're doing, and I am so honored that you have come on today. But for those people that maybe aren't familiar with Raw Beauty Talks, can you start by introducing yourself and who you're a mom to? Yes, I am first and foremost a mom to two kids who are equal parts amazing, wild, all the things. Uh, James is four, Brooklyn is two. And when I'm not momming, I'm a health coach and I have a company called Raw Beauty Co. Um, I primarily coach women who are struggling to get comfortable in their body and who perhaps have a relationship with food that isn't feeling great anymore. I think, Mm. um, you know, this varies so much depending on the woman that I'm talking to, but a lot of us have really complicated relationships with food and our body. And so I work with women who are like, I am done with this narrative in my mind with feeling like I'm never good enough, obsessing over food and what I'm eating and what I'm not eating. And, you know, I want the freedom to be able to, hang out with my kids and build my business without all of that weighing me down. So I feel like I am the luckiest woman alive to have the job that I have. It's something that I've worked on for years now, and I feel so lucky to work with so many incredible women. No kidding. I Okay, I have so many questions just from that one little intro. Uh, First, um, can you tell us what drove you to create the company originally and all of the amazing things it does? Yeah, you know, like so many people, I think that my passion came from one of the most painful parts of my life. And um, when I was in high school, I was a perfectionist and a tryhard and all of those things. And I would get my Seventeen magazine and my YM magazine, <laughs> and I'd look at these girls who seemed to just have it all. And I very quickly pieced together that in our society, beauty equals what they what they sell us. What they tell us is mm-hmm. um, that beauty equals fame, success, money, amazing clothes, friends, popularity, and so I became very conscious of my body and 
uh, that perfectionist nature kicked in. And I, I mean, I was 5'11 and, and small, like, like athletic build. I didn't have weight to lose at that age, but in comparison to the girls in those magazines, I sure did. And so I, you know, became very aware of what I was eating and what started off as just dieting, just, I, I actually, you know, in my mind told myself I was just eating healthy, really, really healthy. Mm-hmm. And, um, that very quickly slipped into a place of extreme restriction. Um, and within six months I'd gone from about 135 pounds to 89 pounds. Oh, wow. And, uh, and so it was a very scary time for my family. It went from this place of I'm in control and I'm just cutting back here and there to a place where I no longer felt in control at all about my thoughts uh, around food. I actually, unlike many people, wanted to start to gain weight. I looked in the mirror and some people have body dysmorphia. I saw myself as being too skinny, but I mm. couldn't stop that dialogue in, that was running through my head saying, don't eat that, like save calories here, um, cut back here. You can have something tomorrow and then tomorrow would come and it would be the same conversation. So I was really lucky. It was awful at the time, but I was admitted into BC Women and Children's Hospital. I spent three months there between wow. grades 11 and 12. You know, every high schooler's dream <laughs> to be in the hospital. Um, and it I never in a million years at that time would have said that I was lucky because of that, but not many people who are struggling in life get to press pause and spend three months just getting to know themselves, just understanding more about themselves. And so it really was my first taste into personal development. And it got me back to a place where I was able to think clearly, where I kind of found freedom from that eating disorder voice and where I was at a healthier weight. And so I went back, I finished high school, I took some time off to, you know, start working and things before figuring out which university I wanted to go to. And, um, and although I no longer and never was deemed anorexic again, I still Mm -hmm. had an interesting relationship with food in my body. And I think that my relationship at that point resembled that, that a lot of women have today Mm -hmm. where I would try and eat healthy and then I would eat and then I would overeat. I would binge at night and in the evenings and eat everything that I could get my hands on. And then I would feel so guilty and so much shame. And so the next day I was like, I'm starting again fresh. I'm going back on the diet. I'm not eating bread or sugar, whatever the flavor of the week was, <laughs> right? I'm not eating that. I'm sticking within these lines. And it was just so exhausting. It was yeah. so exhausting. And so much of the real estate in my mind was taken up by food and my body and what I looked like. But a lot of people didn't really realize that anything was wrong still because I didn't look sick anymore. Mm-hmm. And I think that there are so many women out there who don't necessarily look sick or who are at a healthy weight, but their mindset around food yeah. and their body isn't healthy. And this can be something for a lot of moms maybe who have gone through pregnancy or um, after having a baby, there's so much pressure around 
bouncing back to your mm-hmm. pre-baby body and all of this stuff. So uh, it's something that a lot of moms struggle with as well. Or as we get older and our body changes a little bit, if it's not something that we've really explored and and dove into at any time in our life, it can come back and get louder at those periods of time. Totally. So, you know, I'm navigating my 20s and I'm like, I don't know what's going on here. And I'm having some like major highs, some like great days and some great trips with the girls, but then a lot of like rock bottom lows and anxiety and uh, self-criticism and questioning the things that I'm saying and not sure where I'm going in life. Finally, divine intervention, I met a life coach at a party and I was like, what is life coaching? (laughs) I did not even know that this was a thing. And she's like, you know, we spend a lot more time rather than in therapy, you spend a lot of time digging around in the past. We spend a lot more time figuring out where it is that you even want to be and then navigating the path to getting there. Mm. It's a lot more future present versus past present. And I was like, oh, this sounds super interesting. So I started working with her and I found that that was when I really started to make some huge strides forward in designing the life that I wanted and not only you know, designing it in regards to external things, but designing it in regards to the way that I wanted to feel within. Mm-hmm. So that gave me a taste of coaching. And in that journey, uh, this idea came to me of starting a website that would feature women without photo editing or filters and that would take women kind of, and myself, behind the scenes of uh, how other women were feeling. I felt like at the time, it was either you had these magazine images that were like glossy and highly produced, or you had the celebs, they're just like us pictures. And it would be like the most awful picture of a woman (laughs) caught at the gas station or like tripping on the sidewalk. Yeah, And I'm like, I want I want the real raw images, but I also want to see them for the in the in the beautiful light and I want to see them in you know the way that I see it in the women in my life in general. So we ended up uh, I ended up starting that. We've interviewed over 200 women, photographed them. And this is kind of before this was all like such a common thing. So mm-hmm. it caught a lot of attention because obviously other women were craving the same thing. And that's really where um, the whole the whole journey began. I had so many conversations with women that opened my eyes to the dialogue that we're experiencing within, the shame that we feel around our bodies and our relationship with food, the confusion that we feel about what we should be eating and what we should mm-hmm. not. And it changes every year. And are we into kale or are we not into <laughs> kale? And like, chickpeas give me so much gas, but I'm supposed to eat them. Like we're so freaking confused. Coffee or no coffee. It's just, it's a nightmare. So I got to the point where I was like, I cannot have another conversation with a woman without having some tools to support her in this. Mm. And so that's when I went and did my coaching certification through Health Coach Institute. And here we are today talking. Amazing. (laughs) Amazing. I think it's, what I find really interesting is that you have this incredible platform where you encourage women to show up as they fully are uh, and their their beauty is not connected to their value, you know, at all. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. their appearance is not connected to their value. But then you're also helping women with that relationship with food. And it's an interesting thing. I've gone through uh, 
years ago, a pretty significant weight loss myself. And I've come through the mm-hmm. other side with a whole journey of mental health and <laughs> right. you know, evolution of being okay with food. Yes. But still, food for me is connected to physical body because yes. if I eat a certain thing, yeah, I notice it on my body. And I've gotten away from criticizing my body. I've learned self-love and all of those pieces, but still food for me is connected to that. So how do you balance those two sort of concepts of mm-hmm. healthy relationship with food, but then also the knowledge that it does connect back to, it sort of results in your physical appearance, if you know what I mean. Do you know yeah. what I'm trying to say? Oh, I know. I know exactly <laughs> what you're saying. Absolutely. I mean, you started off with the the point that women, there is so much value placed on on the way that we look in our society. And you know, whether it is being placed on us from advertisements or mm-hmm. our parents, we live in a world where we see people and their appearance first before we ever get to know them. Right. And more so for women than men, I would argue, there is an incredible amount of pressure on us to look a certain way. And exactly like 16-year-old Aaron experienced, we are told time and time again that the way that we look is our greatest value and that the better we look, according to media's definition of beauty, the more success that we'll have, the more love that we'll Mm -hmm. have, the more sense of belonging that we'll have. And so from a very young age, we learn that beauty looks like X, Y, and Z. And so it's only natural when we start to attach all of those other things to it, that it's something that we crave. It's something that we desire as women. Now, what's the easiest way for us to control our body? Yeah, it's through food. Yeah, absolutely. It's through food. So it becomes very easy when we eat three to six or seven times a day for us to start trying to control our body, to mold it into this box that society's created for us to fit into using food. And then we learn things from our parents and influencers and doctors and <laughs> da, 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 about what we should and should not be eating. And the further along we go in life, the more we detach from our body's innate natural wisdom from the signals that our body carries to tell us when we're hungry and when we're full, what gives us pleasure and what doesn't make us feel very good. So one of the first things that I work with with women is helping them reconnect back to those natural signals, the way that your body's talking to you, that you were born with. When Mm -hmm. we come out of the womb, like a baby doesn't have all these preconceived notions about food. It's like, I'm hungry. Give me the boob. Give me my Mm -hmm. bottle. Like it eats and then it stops eating when it's full. Unless you're my son who would just keep eating until he was like (laughs) vomiting. But that's a whole different story, right? Like we know when we're hungry and we know when we're full and we use those signals to help us determine how to nourish our food, nourish our bodies. Mm -hmm. I would guess some of the women who are listening right now are like, I can kind of tell when I'm hungry, usually because I get hangry or I'm shaky or I can't focus anymore. So those are like further along signals of hunger. Mm -hmm. Um, But I have no idea when I'm full. And some people are like, I have no idea when I'm hungry or when I'm full. I've just been eating according to rules that were set out for me for so long. So we can go back to those 
initial um, cues that our body has for us and really start to tap back into those. We also have to remember that food doesn't only serve the purpose of fueling our body. Food is Mm. also pleasure and relationships and stories and celebration. And it is totally okay for it to be all of those things. It is a gift that we have in life to be able to eat and to get joy out of our food. So I think it's so important for us to remember that it doesn't have to just be, and it shouldn't be rice crackers and like bland (laughs) chicken breast. That is, you know, it's, it's, that's too boring for the kind of life that I know that the women who are listening to this right now want for themselves. For sure. But it is complicated. It is so complicated. And at the end of the day, you know, when I work with women who are struggling with emotional eating, it's never about the food. It's never about the food. It's about identifying the emotions that are driving us to reach for food. It's about figuring out what am I hungry for that can't be solved in the fridge? Am I hungry for for a relationship? If it's moms out there, like you are hungry for a break, girl. You are hungry for some rest. (laughs) You need eight hours of sleep for like a couple weeks in a row. You're hungry for some stress reduction, for some calm. Mm. And so often we'll turn to the fridge or food to try and satisfy those deeper cravings that we have. Totally. I know for me, I will stress eat when I feel like I'm not in control of a situation. Yeah. And so I can control the food. And so, yes. you know, and it's almost like a a rebellion, you know, yeah. like, well, yeah. I know that this isn't the best choice, but damn it, I'm going to have it anyway. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. So, and that yeah. probably goes back to something that you experienced when you were younger. Like maybe there was a rebellion between you and parents or friends or something like that. And that's so a very that interesting to Yeah, that's interesting because I was a pretty good kid and I rarely crossed my parents, but maybe this was the way that I actually, you know, snuck a few things and Mm, (laughs) that was the bad side. Well, so often I think like those of us who have more of a like try hard perfectionist, Mm -hmm. um, like stay within the box mentality. It's like sometimes you just get so exhausted by all of that, that you need a release and food is such an eloquent solution. It gives us this boost of serotonin. It feels so good. And for a moment you can just let it all go. Like you can just stop with everything that you're trying to work on and do so perfectly. Um, It is a short-term solution though, Mm -hmm. right? Like we get that short-term satisfaction and then afterwards we're left with feelings of shit, why did I do that? I feel like ashamed. I feel sugar high. I feel gross. Like all of these, these thoughts pile in afterwards, which then drives the cycle of, you know, restricting what we eat again, or just, just criticizing ourselves constantly walking around, never feeling good enough. So. Yeah. I know for me, I, oh, I've totally lost my train of thought. (laughs) this is a standard mom thing right it's like i had the thought and now it has left me this happens to me like once a day okay 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 mom brain moment and it's back i know for me that i can't like i i've done the 
major chain uh, weight loss organization that I won't name um, okay. with great success, uh, but yeah. it didn't teach me the healthy ways to do it. And I know for me now that if I do anything too restrictive, if I'm counting points, if I'm even counting calories, if I'm being too restrictive with myself, I will eventually start to resent it and I will push back and self-sabotage. And so yeah. for me, I've learned that healthy relationship with food and I do look at it as fueling your body. And I love that addition piece of the social aspect and the, you know, the treats and the indulgences from a social and societal perspective and being a bit of a luxury. I really like that mm. addition to it. But looking at those as experiences, not just treats for yourself, but also a chance to engage with others and sort of almost like going on a trip, you know? Yeah. Yes, yeah, exactly. And it's so interesting that you say that you almost like rebel against yeah. those structures and the rigidity. It is like the subconscious mind is just like, oh, hell no, we are not going back <laughs> there again. Like, yeah. absolutely not. And you said earlier that, you know, when you were overeating, it was almost like, you know, a potential mini rebellion again, mm -hmm. or just a way of kind of going against the grain. So that's a pattern that shows up for you. And totally. the great thing about you know, doing this kind of work is that you can start to recognize your patterns. And as soon as we recognize them, you're automatically going to be more conscious of mm -hmm. why you're making the decisions that you're making, which allows us to ultimately choose ones that will serve us. Totally. It's also very interesting that you're rebelling against this, the, the point system, um, I always ask women, like, what is the, what do they think is the most addictive type of food? And every single time without fail, people are like, sugar, sugar, sugar <laughs> is the devil, sugar, it's like cocaine, it's like da 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 da, all the stories we've been told about sugar. Really, the most addictive type of food is the food that you can't have. Yeah, 100%. For me, it's like carbs. how many carbs? <laughs> Probably because you've told yourself that you shouldn't be eating carbs. That well, I, I have them. They're... I do eat them. But if yeah. I could eat anything forever, it would just be carbs. <laughs> right. Like... <laughs> me too. Me too. Absolutely. Um, because they're they're good and, and we do need carbohydrates. They mm -hmm. are not bad, but we've become so accustomed to labeling foods as either good or bad. Totally. And then not only do we label the foods as good as bad or bad, we determine whether we as human beings are good or bad based on whether we ate the good food or the mm. bad food, mm -hmm. which, you know, food is just not a moral judgment as to who you are as a human being, what you Perfect eat quote. in your body. Yeah. It's yeah. just not, it does not define who you are. It does not define whether or not you are driven or whether you are strong enough or whether you are committed enough or any of these things that we start to tie into the way that we eat. It's complicated though. It is our relationship with food is complicated. Oh my gosh. It goes so deep. It just, it, it's so rooted in, like you say, childhood and just the stories that we've told ourselves. It just goes mm -hmm. so deep. All right. Mm -hmm. I want to shift back to something we were talking about a little bit earlier um, and the disconnecting 
a person's value from what they look like. Uh, because we're in a really interesting time right now where the lashes are gone and the hair color is growing <laughs> out and yeah. you know, makeup doesn't feel like as much of a necessity. I tend to uh, put a little makeup on for a Zoom call at work. Or, but yes. have you seen a shift in people towards increased self-acceptance and sort of letting go of that connection between appearance and self-worth as we've sort of navigated this COVID time? Or have you seen people letting go of that? I feel like it's such an individual process and a lot of it depends on why it was that they were dyeing their hair or doing mm. the nails. One of the things that I realized in doing that interview series is that for some people putting on their makeup or getting dressed, it is an art form. It is like part of their creativity. It so is true. something that they absolutely love doing. And so we're seeing some of those people on social media and they're still doing it. They're getting all yep. glammed up. They're in their bathtub doing the like bathtub challenge <laughs> selfies. Yeah. Yeah. They are, it is within their nature. It makes them feel good. So mm -hmm. for those people, you know, very quickly I learned like, who am I to say that doing makeup or doing your hair or nails or getting dressed up is wrong. Like totally. that is bringing you so much joy. You go girl. Then there are going to be people who uh, probably went through a period where they were like, oh my God, I can't believe people are seeing my grays and my <laughs> nails are gone. And that probably felt uncomfortable yeah. at first. And for you know, each of them as individuals, some of them just cannot wait to get back to where they were. And some of them maybe relaxed into a deeper knowing that they are valued and loved and, you know, that their husband's still there and the kids still love them, even if everything's not so perfect. Yeah. I, I, I can't really speak for individuals, but I think everyone's probably been on their own journey. It's, you know, it's a really good point. And I think that goes for the entire COVID situation, people being on their own journey and figuring out what works for them. Yeah. Yeah. But There's a lot of dialogue with, I think, sorry, but yeah. um, between moms, you know, I've seen a lot of conversation like, oh, she's the mom who's has her kids doing schoolwork the whole time and right. everything's color coded and this and that. And then there's the moms who are like, you know, pro, I'm letting my kid watch as much TV and we're all in survival mode and da, 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 da. And then it's, I've also seen things where it's like, almost feels like different groups of moms are pitting against one another. Like you're either in this group or in that group. And I'm like, let's all just cut each other a break. It's a freaking global pandemic. The ones yeah. who are color coding their kids' exercise plans, that's making them feel safe. That's yeah. making them feel like they can manage this and that they are showing up as a mom. For the one who's letting her kids watch TV all day, that's how she's coping with this. And totally. that's cool too. As long as the kids are getting fed and some hugs during the day, maybe like a little bit of outdoor time, let's just all support one another through a really difficult time. A hundred percent. I said this on uh, on one of my posts just this week. I said, you know, there is no right or wrong way to do this. You know, I don't know anybody that was alive during the Spanish flu, and that was the closest thing we have to this. So, yeah. you know, nobody's done this before, and nobody's done it in this situation. Everybody has a different job or home life. You know, we all just have to do what works for us, and there is there is no right way to do it. And no. I think we do see so much comparison on social media, obviously, but you need to do what's right for you. You know, for me, my biggest thing is. I'm not necessarily setting huge goals to get so much better. Like I'm not going to go train for a half marathon right now. <laughs> right. But 
my goal is to not get worse. Like it's not, yeah. you know, cause I know what happens if I let the wheels fall off, um, on my workouts and, you know, I do eat a fairly healthy diet. I would say it's yeah. not a hundred percent, you know, to the letter as we've discussed, but, yeah. um, if I start to eat all of the bread and all of the things, I know mm-hmm. I will feel worse. And so yes. I'm proactively planning to just keep the wheels on, on the train, you know, <laughs> and just and that's keep things amazing. Going. I mean, that is that like, you knowing yourself and yeah. having such great self-awareness and knowing, okay, how am I going to fill my tank so that I can continue to show up for work and show up for exactly. my kids. And this is what that looks like for me. Whereas somebody else might have to say like, I am going to have to press pause on my workout routine for this time because I'm trying to work and have the kids and da, da, da. And I will go insane if I try and add one more thing to my list. So at the end of the day, I think it is really about knowing yourself and knowing what you need and then not being afraid to ask for that or to create space for that. If you can, if you're lucky enough to be in, you know, an environment where your hubby might be able to like watch the kids for an hour and a half or a parent might be able to come over. So, um, yeah, yeah, I think that's where it yeah, I, I think for me, I, I was very lucky in that I had already established these habits long ago. One of the things that I offer is the fill your bucket method. And it's all about, like you say, filling your tank. I say filling your bucket and Love. what it takes to get there, right? And the idea of you can't pour into others if your own bucket is empty. So I had already established all of these things that I knew would fill my bucket. And so I didn't have to add another piece. I just yes. had to maintain, you know? Yeah. Yeah, which is so yeah. great. And I love that you have that offering for people as it is one of the most important things. And it's one of the first things that we tend to lose as moms. We are so busy filling everybody else's bucket and somewhere in there, our bucket drains out and then it just feels hard. It just feels yeah. hard. Yeah, it's coming absolutely. from such a good place, but for everyone listening right now, Please take this as permission from us to create space to fill your bucket. You will show yeah. up as a better mom, as a better partner, as a better uh, employer, employee, whatever it is that you're doing out there. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. Okay. So then follow-up question, how do you fill your bucket? Mm, well, you know, this is going to sound interesting, but one of the ways that I've learned that I fill my bucket is through the work that I do. Mm-hmm. I... When I got pregnant, I, you know, had this plan that I wasn't going to get pregnant for another year. And then all of a sudden I was, I had plans as to where I wanted to take my business. And all of a sudden I was, you know, growing a baby as well. And then navigating, becoming a mom before a lot of my friends were um, pregnant. And it was, Uh, I would say not as graceful as a transition as I would have hoped for. Mm -hmm. I was still really clinging to the fact that I wanted to be at work and growing my business. And I loved, loved, loved my baby so much. And it was, it felt so hard to leave him to go to work, but I also just wasn't ready to go on mat leave for a year and kick up my Mm -hmm. feet. Mm 
that felt way harder than having some time and space to do and build my business. And I felt a lot of guilt and a lot of shame for that. And my husband was like, just take a break. Like you've always worked so hard and I got this, which I'm sure some women are listening and was like, oh, that would be so nice. I hate you for <laughs> like having that option. But for me, that felt like being put in jail. I was like, right. I can't just sit at home and bake muffins. I'll go crazy. And so part of the journey for me into motherhood has been accepting and understanding that a way that I fill my bucket is by going to work, mm -hmm. is by doing this work that I am so passionate about that also fills me up a lot and that that's okay too. It's okay to want more than you know, just to be home all day with your kids. Totally. Um, I still get like this uh, feeling in my stomach saying that because I feel like as women, it's like if you choose to work, sometimes it feels like you're choosing that over your kids. And mm. that's never the way no. that I look at it. I'm not ever choosing work over my kids. If I really, if it really came down to the wire, I would always choose my kids. But there's an opportunity to do both. And that feels best for me. When I yeah. come home after work, I am like so excited to see my kids. I have so much energy and time for them. My phone is away. They get me a hundred percent. And that's, you know, that feels good for me as a mom. And so really accepting that and knowing that that's something that fills my tank is, has been, um, it's been a journey, but it feels good to be getting there to that yeah. place where I can say that. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because I, I, I'm the same way and work fills, you know, I, I work full-time and I run this mom camp. So work obviously <laughs> fills my bucket. Yes. <laughs> okay. We're on the same yeah, page. Totally. But I find what happens a lot of times and the moms I'm talking to it, what I'm hearing from them is that they've actually, they've lost some of their own identity when they became moms because mm -hmm. they became fully a mom as their identity, as opposed to a component of who they are as a human. Yes. So it's interesting because there's such a, I mean, there's pressure on us, you know, you either become all mom or you become the working mom or you, like, there's always this identity wrapped up in it. And oh, yeah. so I do, a, I do a lot of um, work and conversation with moms about who they are, outside of being a mom or as well as being a mom and what really fills them up as opposed to, you know, having it just locked in to the people they've created, you know? Yeah, <laughs> so. that is so, it's so important. And I think one thing that happens is that sometimes as women, we feel bad or like we can't ask for those things when we identify them. It's like there just isn't space for that anymore. Like how am I supposed to find time to go paint or how am I supposed to find time to do this workout class that I love when, you know, we're balancing school and activity schedules and my husband's needs mm -hmm. and desires. I loved mm -hmm. it. I was watching uh, Becoming on Netflix, mm. which is all about Michelle Obama's book tour. And she was talking about this period of time when her and Barack went to counseling. And she said, you know, I made him go to counseling because I was this new mom and I was just so angry at him. Like he would go to the gym and I was like... <laughs> 
how do you have time to go to the gym right now? And he'd have been at work all day and he was just living his best life. And I was at home having given up my law career. And so we went to counseling and I was all ready for the counselor to just tell him all the things he was doing wrong. And she's like, it didn't exactly go that way. She's like, essentially what I learned is I have to stop waiting for others to give me permission to be happy to to give give me permission to do the things that I need to do to light me up. So she said, you know, I started going to the gym and (laughs) obviously it, you know, requires a little bit more conversation than that. And, you know, whether it's the gym or just going to a coffee shop and reading a book or going away with uh, some girlfriends for a girl's weekend or whatever it is that fills your bucket, Mm -hmm. it's also a step it's it requires a lot of courage to ask for that space. It totally to do does. That and the support to do that. Especially if you're in maybe a relationship where you haven't had those conversations before, right? Yeah. It can be really scary to to first make that ask and explain yes. why it's important and that it's about something you need that, you know, isn't connected to them or, you know, it's oh, yeah, it's scary, it's but complicated. it's so important. It's complicated. I know in our house, like my husband is so supportive. He is my biggest cheerleader. He's the Mm -hmm. first person to call when something goes well. Mm -hmm. And I ran, I used to run a Pilates studio um, and raw in similar fashion to what you were doing. And then after having Brooklyn, when she was about eight months old, I ended up getting like terrible postpartum anxiety and panic Mm. attacks, which I hadn't experienced with my first. But this time around, I was running my studio, building raw, had a baby that I was breastfeeding, a toddler that is the most energetic, wild little (laughs) (laughs) maniac ever. And it was way too much. My nervous system just had a complete crash. And so I decided to um, step away from the Pilates studio, which was my source of income. And to really focus on just building raw and being a mom and we had a nanny. And so for like a year and a half, Scott was supporting us and uh, we had several conversations in there where he was like, you know, I love and support you, but like (laughs) literally we are paying for you to go to work every day. (laughs) So like, what's the plan here? And I would get so defensive. I would be like, this is my joy. Like, this is what like lights me (laughs) up. I just need a little bit more time. I promise it's going to work. Like I had to fight to, and I'm not saying fight as in like, right. It got aggressive, but like I had to believe in myself and believe in my passion and lean into the things that light me up because, you know, if I didn't have that determination or that vision for myself, I could have very easily a number of times been like, you're right. This is way too hard. And totally. I'm just going to like go get a job that yeah. I can check in from nine to five. Yeah, And so, you know, we made it through that. And, um, but it, it can be scary asking yeah. for something for yourself when, we can't necessarily measure the the exact like monetary payback or the ROI right. essentially on happiness. Exactly. But or the date I when can... it's all gonna work, you know. Yes, <laughs> yeah. yes. Yeah. But it is still so important. And yeah. it will it will create some ROI, whether that's in your happiness or your well, finance or yeah. your um your health and wellness. Like it exactly. does matter. 
I mean, even that like 45 minutes to go to the gym or to go for a walk and just clear your head, you know, even that has an ROI because it's an investment oh, yeah. of time that has such a return. Like it's just, yes. yeah, it's huge. Yes, exactly. <sighs> All right. There are some questions that I ask almost every guest. And so I just want to uh, turn into those for a minute. How do you define the concept of balance for yourself? (laughs) Oh, I mean, there is, I just think that sometimes we aim to have this one set point that we're going to land on where it's like, I spend X amount of hours working out and I spend X amount of hours making dinner and I spend like this amount of time in the office. And that once we hit that magic place, that everything will just feel easier. And for me, balance has absolutely been more of like one of those wobble boards where you're Mm -hmm. kind of swaying back and forth and back and forth. And you might head into a period where you are working way more. And then usually what starts to happen is I feel out of balance. I feel Mm -hmm. a bit of uncomfortable. And so I swing back the other way a little bit. Now, earlier in life, I would have had these big swings, right? Mm -hmm. Like I'm all in on the working out and then I'm all out on it, or I'm all in on this project and then I'm all out of it. Whereas now I've learned that First of all, I'm no longer even aiming for some <laughs> set point because that right. just feels impossible. And it's really about checking in day to day, week to week to see if we're feeling aligned, checking in with Scott and, you know, yeah. how are you feeling? Are you feeling supported? Do you need like more solo time right now? Are you craving time with the kids? Like what's going on? And and just adjusting as as we go. So that's perfect. I love, I use the sort of the scales of justice because in my head, they're always in a bit of motion, but I love the wobble board. Oh, I love that. Yeah. yeah. For me, the wobble board might be a bit chaotic because I'm not very good at it, but (laughs) (laughs) actually then that sounds perfect for my life. (laughs) Chaotic wobble board is definitely the analogy I'll use. (laughs) Now I know you make time for self-care, but can you share Mm -hmm. what that looks like for you? Yeah. So, um, For me, again, it goes back to checking in and really tuning into my body and what it is that I need. So I am less now about structured workouts. Um, This is a little bit just because life is so busy, but more throughout the week, I'm like, am I feeling anxious right now? Because if I'm feeling anxious, then what I don't need is an intense workout with crazy music. I need yoga. I need a walk. I need like maybe swimming some lengths at the pool. If I am feeling like I've got a lot of energy to burn or even like that anxious energy where it's like, pulsing through your body. And mm-hmm. and in those cases, I might say like, I just feel like going for a really good run. Um, so sometimes that's what self-care looks like. And sometimes it is just not working out at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I love, love, love taking everyday activities and turning them into forms of self-care. So things like washing my face. I used to go through that unconsciously thinking about like what had happened during the day, what's coming up in the schedule. Now it's like I put on the warm water. I smell the soap as I'm rubbing it onto my face. I feel my skin. I use a face cloth and like soak it like they would at the spa and put it over my face with some essential oils. So it doesn't take any longer to do it. 
I'm just in the moment. I'm just in the moment. I'm going through all five of my senses and I'm just enjoying it. I do that even like when I'm doing my daughter's hair. I'm just like really there with her. I find it so soothing. But <laughs> you don't, found- she obviously doesn't have my daughter's hair. <laughs> Because it is not a soothing experience. <laughs> oh, I think, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely, it's like a little like bonding time for us, I think. Totally. And obviously recognize that is not going to be the case for some people. <laughs> um, but I found, especially being a mom, it's like, I don't have an hour in the morning to go journal and like do a 30 minute meditation. And so it's really about like drinking my coffee while the kids are having breakfast mm-hmm. and I bring out my rose quartz roller from the fridge and like rub that on my face a couple times and it feels really good. It's, it's gotta be quick and, and things that I'm already doing. Nice. I love that. All right. Mm. So we are getting down to the end and it's, it's the big question. Mm. (laughs) What is the biggest lesson you have learned as a mom? Mm. You know, this is such it feels like such a massive question and I feel like I could go so many directions with it. So totally. what's the biggest thing I've learned since becoming a mom? Let me just see what bubbles up. Um, I think I have learned that A, it's not all about me, <laughs> but that I find a lot more joy when I share my life with others. Mm. I am the type of person who can get so focused on my work in case you haven't figured that out about me from this <laughs> conversation already. I could just, you know, spend days and hours when I had newborns, I would like dream about renting a, ho- or yeah, renting a hotel room and just like going <laughs> just being by <laughs> totally. and where having time to- camp came from That's exactly <laughs> yeah. where the idea came from. <laughs> Just having some alone space and not having anyone touch me and having like room to think and and dream about my my work and and how to like get it to the space that I want it to be at. But I've really, really realized that none of that would matter if I didn't have family, if I didn't have, you know, something to pull me away from my computer that felt really important to give me that balance in my life mm-hmm. and something now like a reason to do my work that's so much bigger than me it's so much bigger than me so huge that's awesome thank you all right how can our listeners connect with you follow you all the things Mm. head on over to our website rawbeauty.co and then definitely come find us on instagram at rawbeautytalks our podcast is also rawbeautytalks you can find it where every um, podcast is located and send me a DM. I would love to hear sort of what your biggest aha moment was from this episode or just take a screenshot of the episode if it's playing on your phone and tag at Raw Beauty Talks. Um, And uh, yeah, I'd love to get to know some of your listeners as well. So I always say it's nice having these conversations you know, one-on-one or on my own show, you just are talking into a microphone, but that's not why I do it. I love connecting with people and hearing people's stories. So come say hi. Awesome. Yeah. Tag mom camp life as well. And we'll both, we'll regram you. We'll connect. It'll be amazing. Well, thank you, Erin. I have loved this. I feel like we could go on so many more subjects. I might have to have you back because I just, I've really, really enjoyed chatting with you. 
Oh, you too. Thank you for asking such well or such insightful, thoughtful comments. And I would love to come back anytime. So uh, we will chat soon, Mama. Yes, we will. Thank you. Hey, I'm hoping I can ask you a favor. If you are enjoying the Mom Camp Around the Campfire podcast, I would love it if you would share it with a friend. Tell somebody on Instagram, you know, screen capture what you're listening to, post it on your IG stories, tag me, and let people know about this podcast. I would love to get the word out to more moms in an effort to help more and to get the message out and provide as much value as possible. I'm ultimately here to serve you. So please help me get the word out and let me know what you want to see from future episodes. Thanks so much. All right, mamas, that's it for today. For more info about this episode, you can check out the show notes at momcamplife.com slash podcast. Hang out with us on Instagram at momcamplife. And if you love this episode, please share it with your friends. Thank you so much for tuning in and join us next time around the campfire.